Shalom and thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Elect Life Podcast Edition with Liz McGee. We hope you enjoy the journey as Liz takes you through her mystical insights from ancient Jewish writings. You'll find more info on the website at theelectlife.org. So go check it out and make sure you have oil in your lamp for the coming of Mashiach. And now your host, Liz McGee. Shalom, shalom. Welcome to this episode of The Elect Life. My name is Liz McGee and uh, I have a sharing again for today. I've been using this time, this is the time of isolation, lockdown, so that will date this video, but uh, the first one, we'll see, in the spring of 2020. But I have been trying to organize my files. I have massive amounts of folders and files where I have been cut and paste and clipping as I read broadly through all the prophets, the, uh, the, out of the Torah, the five books of Moshe, the, the prophets, the writings, the writings including that broader canon and the New Testament and the writings there. And one thing is I want to try to, so I've gone back to, I'm organizing my folders on the keys, the keys of the kingdom. It's a massive, I had no idea when I started this what I was doing. I was trying to plumb the depths of the mind of Judah and I'm like, what was I thinking? But Hashem has been faithful and it's like a carrot and you know a stick. He's been leaving little breadcrumb trails and giving me great, exciting discoveries that have kept me motivated. But I'm pretty convinced now as I have landed on what I consider to be the archetypal wisdom of our ancients, what we, we can trust, right? And I've come up with the 32 paths of wisdom, which is an extremely Jewish concept, but it's completely biblical, orthodox, flushed out. There are so many writings on this that it boggles the mind. And at this point, I, I just want to say I give up. <laughs> I give up to Judah and says, I will never, I don't know if any other quote-unquote Ephraimite feels this way, I will never catch up to Judah. I will never, not having grown up learning Hebrew, not having it be my, the way my mind is organized and works when reading the text, the, the catch-up is huge. Uh, not having these keys, not not understanding how the words are used on all of their levels of parts. <laughs> I'll never catch up. But you know what? That doesn't matter in the sense because the mission today is to tr- bring Ephraim, a.k.a. Christianity, back into, quote-unquote, the house, the house of Judah, the, the learning, the Torah understanding that is there. We did not need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And now it's um, in terms of reclaiming it. But I think that more we can, I really feel like I can take a lot of these keys in this understanding and explain it to the E from my mind without having to use all the Hebraic, the Jewish terminology for every theology and cluster of words and what it means. They have names for it in Hebrew. And when you listen to the sages and the rabbis, they just rattle this stuff off and it gets to be shop talk. And it really kind of does cut out a lot of people's understanding because they don't know, they're not familiar with the words, they don't know what they're talking about. So I feel like another approach is I can just show it. And I think mind to mind, those people can pick up the concept, can understand it. 
as we all come back to the pure language of Hebrew and learning and learning the code words, the words in their correct original placement, the way they were originally engraved in the spiritual kingdoms all the way down. So all that, but you know, one of the things too is that it's been 2,300 years, give or take, uh, since the Northern Kingdom was exiled from, was divorced, cut off, and dispersed from the land uh, of Israel. And it, in terms of history, people understand these are the lost sheep. They were completely lost. But it was always the job of the, the righteous, the sages, to keep track of them, to keep track of the prophecies for them, and to have a correct, it's always been the responsibility of the, of the, the teachers, the leaders, the scribes, the elders, the the rubbing to 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 have the deeper level, the so level understanding, but it hasn't always happened that way. And in many generations, so what I want to just I want to just go in and and go to some of the keys and try to explain it again because I'm absolutely convinced now that the whole text is written so much of it, especially from the prophet prophet of the season we're in. And because the words are totally different, Israel, who knows that, who knows that, who knew that Christianity today, Ephraim, aka Christianity today, was biblically Israel, house of Israel. All right. So unless you really know that, you're locked out of understanding of much of the scripture. So reclaiming this is huge. But how, and I make by the way, how specific these, the words used are, the words are used into in in terms of nature nature does not lie this is the thing about the hebrew language all the word the letters and then the root words they make and the comes are tied into on a shot level a physical reality and that's done on purpose and that's the concreteness of it meaning you can trust you can trust that archetypal image and that that truth if you stay in that vein will keep you in the straight and narrow of that understanding of that. Um, it's when you, you get outside of that and then people start making stuff up that has led to all the babble, quote unquote, the confusion that we have. But suffice it to say, now let me just start with this one. In the two houses, there are so many code words, how they're referred to, not just the house of Israel, not just Ephraim or just not the house of Judah. Um, I want to give you one here. So this is, and another thing I have to say, for people who still want to be afraid of the Zohar or the whole concept of the oral tradition, the, 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 the keys, the sowed level understanding of the keys to the kingdom that was delivered to Moshe, that was delivered to the 70 elders, that has always been kept in the scribal house, generation to generation, as an oral, um, keyed, encrypted understanding of how to apply these archetypes that we find in nature on all their deeper levels. Hope that makes sense. Okay, so anyways, the turtle dove, let's just take these concepts because the turtle dove, which is a, a bird that's used, and the pigeon. Now both of these, so like if we're talking about clean and unclean animals, you gotta know why are they picking these archetypes, these birds, and then are they consistent throughout? So the turtle dove, is a clean animal, but it is coded to the, um, it's a type of, all right, let me say this. It's coded to the house of Israel. A turtle dove migrates. 
all right, it, it, it flies away. It, it, it migrates into in different seasons. This is something that the house of Israel did. They, they were exiled. They were forced to migrate. Ephraim was pushed to the ends of the earth, the ends of the nations. This is why you could use the turtle dove is coded as a word to represent prophetic actions, future of the house of Israel. All right. Conversely, the pigeon is a clean animal, but it is it does not migrate. It stays. You know, think about feeding pigeons. They don't migrate. They stay right there because that's where the food is. <laughs> Which there's a house of Judah. They do not migrate. So the pigeon is a representation coded deeply into these scriptures of the house of Judah, the turtle dove. Now, to make my other point here, and I'll show it to you in some of the in in some of these scriptures, but it talks about the, the cooing of the turtle dove. There's a famous, actually, ministry in Israel, Kol Har Hatol, which is the voice of the turtle dove. What that means is at the end of the age, the voice of the turtle dove will be heard again in the land. That's a coded reference to that the house of Israel, the house of Israel, the Ephraimite will be, will be waking up, will be, coming, will be coming back, will be to their original place, um, they migrated from somewhere, so their original place was the land, so to speak. Um, when that voice, when you hear and when you see these things happening, this and the turtle, that's a coded reference. Now I'm going to show you at the end of the ages in the West, and it'll talk about. So these words, what I'm trying to say is once you latch on to the correct archetype, and if you follow it through, and I'm always blown away, it is so consistent. All right, so it says here, this is, the, I have a little quote from the Apocalypse of Abraham. Now, this is the thing, and I have a couple other quotes. I hope I get to this. Uh, much of the Apocrypha, this is, these are sections or po portions of the Zohar, of the traditions being written out in other languages or in other groups. So the Apocalypse of Abraham is almost like a word-for-word -word or a con um, writing understanding that's in the Zohar, but somehow it got, it got written off separated, right? So people don't make the connection. So what I'm trying to say is if you're reading the Apocrypha, if you're reading the book of Enoch, which second Enoch is almost word from word from the Zohar, you're reading Zoharic understandings. So if you're, if you're, see, this is what they're trying to do, the, the divide and conquer is they're trying to divorce you from its true root and tradition. Um, so you can't put all the pieces together. It is Zoharic. It is in, in its origination, which means it's, it's part of the mysteries, the deep levels of understanding. That's why it's called an apocalypse or an apocrypha. It's hidden. It's the so level understanding. All right. So I'm just saying that for people who still have an attitude towards kind of cracks me up because you're going to be going. Okay. Now it says here in this apocalypse of Abraham, it talks about how, um, Abraham was told to, you know, separate very specific animals and to make a path down the middle, which is, again, totally follows the, the archetype of the tree of life, the left side, the right side, and the middle pillar, which is the Mashiach pillar, which is Yodhavah passing through the middle. No, not all confusion. Every archetype, it fits, it fits on every level. So it says here that um, Azazel, so the point is that Abraham offers up a sacrifice, but remember there were some birds that were trying to bug him. Birds are really code words a lot of times for spiritual angels, right? So it was not without 
under the guidance of Yahweh, assisted by many other angels, Abraham offers up his sacrifice, but not without being disturbed by Azazel, who was the fallen archangel and seducer of mankind. Now, if you read in them, in the, they will give you, to a large extent, the names of different angels. We know that there are, we look at Gabriel, Michael, we know about this, we know about many angels on the other side. Azazel, Azazel and Azel, Azel, I believe, are two of the fallen angels, but be that as it may. Um, and is characterized in the apocalypse in the form of an unclean bird. He swoops down upon the carcasses. So in here you have this concept of unclean birds falling down on carcasses. This is the vulture. See, what they're doing is they are they're, they're giving you information and understanding of how the other side the Sitra Arka, the demonic realm, the left side, Satan and his minions, whatever you want to, you know, are operating what they're doing and they're coding information. <clears throat> so an unclean bird swooping down upon the carcasses, all right, which is referring back to, to, in Genesis 15, 11. Now, these unclean birds are also equated with, because you will always have the vessel and you will always have the, the, the power that fills the vessel, okay? So we're, we have this, we have our ruach, our spirit in our earthen vessel. It's the same thing on the other side. They have a power in a vessel and uh, it's equated with an unclean bird, but they're also equated in the vessel. These are idolatrous peoples. So unclean birds are representations of idolatrous nations that are filled with power sources or understandings from the other side, the left side. So again, it tracks clean and unclean. But I think that's very interesting. And you, you know, I didn't have it. I'm not going to do the whole study. But look up the turtle dove. Look up the pigeon. Look up the context. See if you can glean some of the deeper understandings. How this is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay. Now another way that the, they code these things. And so I'm convinced that it's all referring to. Again, the condition, the geography, the spiritual state, and the future destinies of these two houses. The whole text is written basically, and again, in the, about the reunification of all Israel, all the holy souls of Adam coming back together in full resurrection power in the end. That is, uh, that's the storyline. That's where we're going. Now, one of the other things that, I know, especially in the New Testament, and Paul uses a lot of this language, but most Christians have no clue what it's referencing in its original archetypes in the Old Testament. And so a widow, I want to talk about a widow, one who is widowed versus a woman who is divorced, worse versus the children, the children of the desolate woman versus the woman who lives with her husband. Okay, so these again, these are archetypes of talking about conditions, spiritual of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And let's say the widow is um, represents the house of Judah, and it is it's it, it represents a state of a soul that is cut off, let's say, from its power source. All right, so state of the soul when it departs at its one level it actually means when the body departs at death from the soul because again these are representing a widow has lost her husband that's the definition of the word 
so Ju Judah is many times called a widow. She is, she is sent into exile. She is cut off from her body, which would be the body of, like when she was set in the temple at uh, the kingdom. I guess she's, because you understand Judah has always, well, let me put it this way. When it says in the verses, more are the children of the desolate woman than the woman who lives with her husband. All right, so let me give all of this. So the divorced woman represents um, the house of Israel who was divorced and sent off. She was disconnected from the holy name. She could not use the name of her husband anymore. <laughs> See, the husband represents Yahuwah. That is, that is Hashem. That is, that is the husband, the she in all these, why it's a widow or a divorce or she, because that's the woman which represents, you know, we know the bride, which is where it's, it's the kind of the heaven and the earth, which are separate right now. The, the connection has been, um, was severed. So when it says that she has no child, uh, Ephraim, who could not use anymore the name of Hashem, because they were, so when you, this is the point with a lot of women, you're divorced, women will go back to their original name. And technically, I mean, that's why some of this stuff, it gets very complicated when you're figuring out the law. You have to track these archetypes very closely. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not doing any of the drosh today, understandings. But so more of the children of the desolate woman who represents the house of Israel. And she does have more children. Ephraim, it's, it's a numbers game. There are many, many more in the house in Israel than there are in, 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 of the numbers game than there are Jews in the world today. I mean, that's just a fact. There, there could be up to a billion, I forget what the numbers are, um, in AKA, and, and I put in a Christian, and I put righteous Gentiles. See, there's a lot of people that are following the understanding the spiritual level of Torah, um, and they're called righteous, and they are righteous. They're called righteous Noahides or righteous Gentiles. Or so you have, aka the Christians, and you have the righteous Gentiles, which is a huge pool pocket of people in the earth today. So more of the children, and this is the desolate woman who was divorced and disconnected from the holy name, sent out into the nations, became the nations. There was no way to tell the two apart. They totally lost and were, were absorbed into this. So then more, then there are more of them than there are the women who lives with her husband. I say Judah was never divorced. She is still, um, she can be a widow in the sense when she would be cut off in her exiles from the holy temple, from her, you know, husband, so to speak. And, and then I said, and these all have even higher level meanings because again, I said widow can refer to the state where the soul is separated from the body at death. So, these are very important things to understand when you're trying to understand, especially the deeper level of the text. Now, there's a little, another little quote I have here from the Clementine homilies. Since I, I like to read, because if it's true prophecy, if you're reading a text and you understand the keys, and you understand, then you can get into the mind of the reader and you can see, is he using these archetypes correctly? If he's not using them correctly, then you know he is not coming from a pure stream. His, somehow there's a lot of mixture in what he's saying. So it says, um, 
uh, I should start, but consider those who are of a different opinion with respect to the grace of Christ, the Christos, the anointing, which has come upon us. This is now speaking Clementine homies to returning lost sheep who are Gentiles. So however you say it to a gent, doesn't matter. It's just talking. Um, with respect to the grace of of Christus that has come upon us, how oppressed they are to the will of God. They have no regard for love, no care for the widow or the orphan or the oppressed of the bond or of the free, of the hungry or the thirsty. See, these are all words that are that are also spinning off um, of these concepts. All right. Now it talks about what I really think this is speaking to. Again, they had a real problem in the first in in the early the early ecclesia had a real problem. The Jerusalem in in with the Judaize Judaizers. There were those still in the, who did not see this unfolding and. Let me say that they still wanted to bring every convert totally into um, the law of Moshe. They would not allow them to be accepted back into the fold until they had fully, fully converted and vetted and done everything required by the, the, the Torah of Moshe. But see, this is what the, the, the other side was saying was, no, they can still come in. You know, Ephraim can still come in. They can have equal status before the Father. They're sons. They're recovenanted. Everything. It's just going to take time to get their mind renewed to get them back up to the level of understanding of, of you know, the true Taurus age. And that's, um, that is true. So there is no regard for the widow or the orphan or the oppressed. These are words. These are, again, different spiritual states that people can, that, that the lost tribes of both houses are in because the other thing side of the story it's interesting how uh there are so many quote-unquote jews genetic jews who have been absorbed into the gentiles also because of all the dispersions and the exiles so it's really an interesting uh it's really when you look at it from the big picture it's really only been just like she was a small remnant in the house of judah who has kept the torah for everyone but again Yahweh, who in, in the dispersions, he has multiplied the seed of both Judah and Ephraim and uh, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes in the earth, in the valley of decision, because all these people who have lost, their, have got to make a decision and either come back into the house, into the covenant, into the original agreement at Mount Sinai or whatever. All right. So these words all track. Now, another way in which... I just got a couple of these. Uh, I want to talk about this one because, again, I'm I'm really trying to reach out to, you know, even teachers in the house of Ephraim in Christianity. It's getting to be a very loud voice now that you know coming back to the Hebrew roots. Yeshua was a Jewish rabbi. We need to get back into the archetypal understandings that is in the tree of life in. The, Judah, Judah has kept this. This is something we might have preached Yeshua unto all the nations. That was our job, so to speak. All right. And it's done. The time of the Gentiles is done. Now we have to come back. Now we have to put the two, so to speak, together. It's, it's not for the faint hearted, but anyways. <laughs> okay. So there's a um, second Baruch, which uh, there's a verse in here, a couple of lines. Again, 
trying to elevate the level of understanding that's needed. See, in order to, this is my point with all the prognosticators and those who think they're prophets and are trying to tell us all the stuff that's happening in the end times. It is so deeply embedded, <laughs> unless, this is why there's so much confusion and so many quote-unquote different scenarios, and it seems like the two houses even though everybody is getting, especially today, in messianic fever, so to speak, uh, to get down to the real so level of understanding of what these means, we have to get back to this level of Torah sageness, all right, to understand the so level. But this is from in Second Baruch 77, verse 16. Well, all right, but I start, I'm going to start in verse 13. It says here, If for the shepherds of Israel have perished and the lamps which gave light are extinguished and the fountains have withheld their streams whence we used to drink, we are left in the darkness. We are amid, amid the trees of the forest and thirst of the wilderness. And I answered and said unto them, shepherds, lamps and fountains come from the law. And though we depart, the law still abides. If therefore you have respect to the law, a lamp will not be wanting, a shepherd will not fail, and a fountain will not dry up. Now, what in the world is this talking about? <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, the shepherds of Israel. This is talking about the teachers. You know, those who are to lead the flock. In is they have. All right. So the lamps are extinguished. The fountains. Uh, the fountains have withheld their drink and uh, these people left in darkness amid four um, trees of the forest. But if you understand a lamp is another word for a sadiq, a holy righteous one a, and a teacher in Israel. The holy Ari, they call him, I think he's called the holy lamp. I mean, they're not, see, this is what I mean. They're not making it up. Forgive me if anybody's Jewish, and I got that wrong. It's either, maybe it's um, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon from the Zohar. He's the holy lamp, or Ari is the holy lamp. But the point is, these are some of the greatest Torah sage minds that have ever existed. Uh, and that is why you will have, and that's where, you know, even Yeshua, the Mashiach, the stone of Israel, who is the preeminent, preeminent Torah sage overall. All right, these are the lamps. All right, now a shepherd will not fail. A shepherd refers to, um, again, is as a sadiq, which is a holy one who should know these this level of like encryption of understanding. That was what Yeshua was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these. I'm trying to talk to you about deep spiritual stuff and you don't know what I'm talking about. How did you get to be a level of a teacher and you don't know this? This is always the problem. When, when, and it says here that shepherds and lamps and fountains come from the law. The only way you can get to these levels is if by studying Torah. <laughs> you know, like I said, you're not going to go study Hindu texts to get the true Hebraic understanding. I mean, nobody does that. You go back and you study the Torah, the law, all of the writings. And so a lamp will not be white. Um, 
a, a holy sage, a shepherd, a sadiq, a teacher, someone who should know this level, and a fountain will not dry up. This is the level of prophecy. This is um, when fountains have withheld their stream. This is talking about this level of wisdom and understanding. This prophetic level of understanding is going to dry up. If you don't have true lamps and true, true shepherds in every generation who know and understand this level. So we have to understand that this is what they're talking about. <laughs> All right. And it's just Israel because Israel, when they went into, when they were divorced, like I said, they didn't take their Bible with them. They lost very quickly this level. There were no shepherds. They perished. There were no lamps. They were extinguished. This whole, you know, um, they went into apostasy and idolatry pretty big, pretty quick, and have stayed there, basically, to a large extent. And now when you hear the voice of the turtle dove in this last days, in this last, you are hearing the voice, the return back to the Torah, for, and especially for instruction in this level of understanding. Now, uh, this is another, here it is again. In, this is from the Talmud Hara 14a, where they're kind of talking about the same thing. Uh, it says here, even in the time of Jerusalem's downfall, trustworthy men did not cease among its people, as it is, stated, as it is stated. For a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, and he will say, you have a cloak, be our ruler. See, again, that's very apocryphal. You know, unless you have to know what a, what a cloak is, what these. But the Gemara explains. Okay, the Gemara explains that they would approach someone and say, say that these things that people are careful to keep covered with a cloak. In other words, the sewed level understanding. It is cloaked. It is hidden. It is hidden under a couple layers, purposely. And you have to be taught or dig like I had forever to uncover this level, to find this level. But, um, but it's, what it's trying to talk about is that there are people who, who should have this level of like mantle of cloak. Remember when Elijah was, um, Elijah said he wanted the mantle, a double portion of the mantle of Elijah. He's talking about, I want a higher level of wisdom and understanding than you, you have, Elijah. And, and it was granted to him. That's what they're talking about, all right? Therefore, the inhabitant of Jerusalem swears, I will not be a healer, uh, which means I was never one of those who sit in the study hall. For in my house there is neither bread nor a cloak, as I possess knowledge of neither the Bible, the Mishnah, nor the Gemara. This shows that even at Jerusalem's lowest spiritual ebb, its inhabitants would admit the truth and own up to their complete ignorance. So in other words, these words are <clears throat> covering or alluding to some of these. Well, let me just say this. There's a verse. Oh, I had a book where I was going that a lot of people in, will say, when their prophecies and their visions are exposed and they're proven to be a sham that they did not really have this level at all, they did not have the true encrypted levels, the keys to the kingdom, and they were still strutting around like I'm a prophet and listen to my vision, and that they will totally be ashamed. And it will say that they are going to have to admit, well, you know what? 
I really did not have that cloak. I really was not enclosed with that level of, of, of <clears throat> understanding. All right. And these people do not have, and most Christians today, because we've totally divorced ourselves from the revelation that's still in the house of Judah, you got to separate. So you got to understand, you got to separate the concept of Mashiach, Messiah bin Joseph, Messiah bin Ebed. You just have to, you don't have to pretend it's not there, but you have to separate it when you are critically trying to understand your text because it's not, it's a huge part of the story, but it's not the whole storyline. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you need to have a knowledge of the Bible, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Talmud, because that's where they're carrying forward. And in the Zoharic writings, all of this deep level of understanding. So um, again, trying to explain, this is how these words are being used. Shepherds are lamps and fountains, I said, come from the law. You need to tap into, said, you know, these streams, a vein, this is what's called a vein of understanding or a fountain of wisdom or a stream of knowledge. Those words, we have vein found a stream. We're talking about flows. This is like a prophetic stream. This is like an, a, a stream of knowledge, of understanding that's spiritually up there. You have to tap into this. You have to mine it. But it's talking about chokmah, bina, and dot knowledge. It's talking about, you know, get wisdom, get understanding, get the deepest, highest level of understanding. Okay, so this is what I'm constantly, I guess, at this heartbeat, but it doesn't matter. Okay, so Levi and Judah, see, another way that these things are coded, these where they talk, especially in the War Scroll, if you read that, in, in, that's so apocryphal, but they have different names for different kind of groups of people. There are the, the called of Yah, all right? There are called, some that are called the princes of Yah, and then there's, that are called the army of La, Yah, Yahweh. Okay, so that's not an accident that you have called princes and army. They they're, they're coded with something. The called of Yah is the whole congregation. We're all called. He's calling everyone, all the ecclesia, all over, just all over the world. The princes of Yah are the chiefs. And in that category, you would, the heads, you would have the, the, the Torah sages. You know, Moshe is the head. Yeshua, he is the head of the house. He made the house. The house exists for him. <laughs> he made it. All right? These are the chiefs. Um, the most highly, you know, because everything's reversed now. It's, well, I won't go into that. All right? Then the army of Yah are the Levites. Uh, all right? The, um, and the priests, they do the work. Of, of the spirituality, the, the, in, the, the, inscri uh, the inscribing, every generation, you, know, you have to keep these texts current, you have to keep them, you have to dispose of, you have to keep the houses of learning flourishing, open, you have to be bringing students in, bringing them up, I don't think we, this is why it's so hard, I've, it, it, I will never stop doing it, but it's very hard for me to rise up to the level of a Torah sage, or any Christian teacher day, because you did not grow up in yeshiva. This was not taught to you in the linear fashion of precept by precept, according to the letters and then the numbers and then the tree of life and then the sephirah. See, that's not how it was taught to us. So, but that is where we're going. So now another, uh, let me get, get a couple of these other understandings in here. 
so you know uh, this i was listening to another uh rabbi a kabbalist rabbi i have a lot of respect for and has some great information and understandings and i glean a lot but um i was really blessed by his understanding and he's really talking to his own people he's saying look at because again, the lost tribes is a big issue in Judah. How do they explain it? Who are these lost tribes? What are they coming back? I mean, they're as curious and trying to integrate it, make it as anybody else, as we are. But he 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 really explained as laid it as clear as you can that the Bekarah, the blessing that's on Ephraim, which is a multiple multiplicity, I've been trying to say, it's it's um be blessed, be fruitful and multiply. That whole is he said, that's on these people. He said, and, and so you have to see that the multitudes, and he gave the numbers like Judah, you know, if Judah hadn't lost all the people in the Holocaust, if they hadn't been, you know, the Crusades, if all of these, if the Romans, when they exiled them, I mean, they have had population decimation thrown at them generationally. For They could be, he's, I think he said they could be, a, they're at a 14 million now, they could be easily up, up 50 million if those had, but, but Ephraim, is up in a billion when you take that seed in the whole earth. So, um, but Rachel, there's a verse of Rachel is weeping for her children. See, this is where archetypally, who was Rachel's child? He says, she's not weeping for the Jews. Jew, Judah, Rachel did not birth Judah. Judah's mother is Leah. Totally different. Rachel birthed Joseph, Benjamin. Okay, those are her children. If Rachel is weeping for her children, and most people understand now that the most, one of the earliest groups to hear and respond to the gospel, so to speak, were the Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin, living with Judah at the time because Benjamin always stayed with Judah. Judah kind of took Benjamin on like an older brother when Joseph, Benjamin's real older brother, got sold down the river and Judah was very instrumental in that Judah out of a contrite heart felt bad and kind of took Benjamin under his wing. And so Benjamin has always been very close to Judah and actually part of the temple is on the land inheritance of Benjamin. I mean, I'm saying you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so, but so who is Rachel weeping for? She's weeping for her children. Her child is Joseph. Joseph represents the multiplied seed. That's the whole point. And so he is saying here, you think that she's, you're saying, you know, in, in a way, saying like, how can you say our patriarchal mother, one of our, mo one of our mothers of us 12 tribes, why would she not weep for her children to come home? I mean, it makes me want to cry. I mean, seriously, what mother does not weep for her loss? What mother out there, all of us who have wayward children, do not weep daily before the Lord? You know, bring these kids home. See, so it's so important to understand the character. Okay, Rachel, who's her child? Joseph. What's the condition of Joseph today? He is in the dispersed land still. He Very few in number seriously have truly come back all the way. And joined up with the older brother in the house. It's in process. It's happening. But again, you've got to understand how these archetypes are coded to the two houses and are always talking about their spiritual condition, their geographic condition, their prophetic condition. Okay. Now let me go to <laughs> this one. I'm just randomly kind of really, as I organize my folders, and I'm going to, again, 
somehow, some way, releases in some kind of format. <laughs> okay. This has to do with geography, okay? Well, okay, because a lot of times, and this is what I've learned, geography. We live, everybody thinks of geography, north, south, east, and west, only in terms of the physical. They don't understand that these words are coded to exactly tell us where on the tree of life, this whole tree of life, which is Adam Cademan, which is the body of Mashiach, 100% from his total mind, all the way down to his feet, to physicality, okay, you can plot, these words are coded to tell us exactly where on the Sephirothic tree of life that prophet or whatever, that, that, that is referring to, okay, very specific, it's crazy, but um, let's say the north spiritually, it was the easiest one, it's, it's always equipped, and I always go to, to Gavera, to the the north the sides of the north it's in the north this and this is the rain this is the geographic area and origination of Hasatan. all right if you want to know where his throne is it's in the sides of the north it is also known as the unknown region in terms of you know the world we can know and explore that is a realm that you just can't well, I think I'll just go up to Satan's kingdom today, take my little pistol, and no, you don't, you just don't do it that way, all right? So the Mediterranean, now there's always the Peshat level, but once you establish the Peshat level, then if you go into a Ramazar hint, or especially if you go into the soul level, it has to follow the original archetype. So let me show you this. So the word the Mediterranean Sea, it has been equated to the West, all right. Now, what's and then the region, which is the word Yam in Hebrew, the word Kedem, which is the re, re, region of the rising sun, is the east. So, the east, especially geographically, where Israel is, the sun rises to their east. It sets to their west. There is a region in the north very unknown and actually even at the time a lot is the north what was going on even though there was world trade going on and that's all encrypted and coded in there totally you know the lands of the north were very mysterious very um kind of left to themselves so to speak they don't really fit into the a lot of the geographic of the timeline of what we're talking about there wasn't a lot of interaction with the way north okay then you have the desert region which is in the south which is, we know, there is the whole desert, the Arabian desert that's south of Israel. Okay, so those are Peshats. But now if you were to take those and um, now take that understanding and let's put it into some of these verses and follow through. It says in Hosea, I think this is Hosea 11, verse 10. It says, they will walk after Adonai, he will roar like a lion, indeed he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. Okay, now, in, okay, so the, Yeshua one of his, is, is archetyped as the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So he did roar, he did come, that sound, that voice, that message was like a huge roar that has been in all of the earth. I mean, that is still reverberating, okay? 
So, and his sons will come trembling from the West. The West is the setting of the sun. The West refers to the end of the age, because if you take an age, a day, which is the word age, it starts in the morning, in the East, and it transgresses. So if you want to talk about a prophetic event in the end, in the, in the Latin, you would put it in the West. You would code it up with the word West, because that's the end of the day, the end of the age. The sun goes down. See how it just follows archetype. Versus you want to, they talk about the East, the beginning, the rush, that like Adam in the garden where the early events happen or, or, or before the flood, you know, these things. Um, the ancient, um, the East, and the, the, that's why it, the, they talk a lot about knowledge from the East as being very old and original. And that's, that's geographically and accurate. All right. Now, Rashi says, and Rashi is a great Bible commentary. I, I always recommend loading up um, from Chabad, the Tanakh, and then the commentary by Rashi, because it's always good to go in and to look and see. He does great. He totally nails the Peshat level understandings of these, so you can totally not get out of archetype and understand how they're the sages have used these words. He says, Rashi, he shall roar like a lion. He will yet roar to them like a lion that they leave the exile and follow him. What is, what did Yeshua do? Roar like a lion. We're supposed to leave Babylon, which is another whole coded way of saying, we're supposed to leave our, the nations, the exile. We're supposed to come back to the house, so to speak. Um, it's exactly accurate. And the children shall hasten from the West, especially in the end of the age. That's why they call these last two days since Mashiach, these 2,000 years, as the days of the footsteps of Messiah, because they know he's going to roar from the West. The exiles shall be gathered from the West, which means at the end of the age, there will be this huge harvest. Isn't that what we're all talking about? There's a harvest. And um, so when it's talking about coming from the West, you can't necessarily... Um, there will be huge pockets coming. I mean, America, we have huge between the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and the righteous Gentiles. And we have quite a harvest. I believe we do have a great harvest in our future. But the West is used more at the terms of the end of the age. At the end of the age in the West, that's how it's being used, okay? The harvest, it's like he planted the seed in the East. He planted it in the beginning. He's going to harvest this in the West at the end of the age. I mean, it makes perfect sense, all right? Now, here's one in Luke 12, 54. And again, this is what Yeshua is saying. Like he said to Nicodemus, he said, look, at." he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the West, you can immediately say a shower is coming. And, and, and so it turns out. So they knew, they knew by keys how to read um, the nature and to determine it's different coded things that it, of, of what was coming, even in um, what I'm trying to say, the weather, Okay. But he says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but, but you don't know how to interpret the present time. Again, you don't know these keys, so you can't, you can't see the prophetic fulfillment going on in your time. You can't teach it. You see, and, and actually, like Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You're kicking against my plan. <laughs> okay? So, again, these... Once we get up to the level of really recapturing these keys and understanding them in their total biblical context, here's another one. Now, this is Philo, okay? Now, Philo was a great, and I have a lot of respect for Philo. He was a, a totally initiated, and I believe, believer in Yeshua. He got it. 
in uh, a lot of his writings have been saved, totally extant, saved for us, which is a good thing. So we can understand how these words were used at the time. Okay, so he says in Eden, so why was the Garden of Eden in the east? Because it was in the beginning. He planted it towards the east. So in other words, right, Garden of Eden was planted way in the beginning. So it was planted in the east because we're following in a, in, a, in a cycle, a time cycle. This is said in the first place because the motion of the world proceeds from the rising of the sun to the setting. And it first exists in that quarter from which it is moved uh, secondly, because that part of the world, which is the region of the east, is called the right side also. And that region, which is in the region of the west, is called the left side of the world. So once you get archetype, like I said, on the tree of life, what he just said was, this is the west. Let me get my figures. This is the left side. This is the right side. This is Hesed. This is the this is the end. Okay, so the great harvest is coming from, oh my gosh, here. The, the west, the left side, the end of the age, all right? And the region, of the, that's why I said the region of the west is called the left side. The greatest harvest is going to come at the end of the age. And where is that harvest going to come from? From people, who, the left side, and this gets into the people of mixture. All right, this is the people who haven't quite, all those in the valley of uh, indecision have quite make up their mind. And just look at, choose you this day. You know, that day, the age for being able to choose is going to end very, very soon. <laughs> so, again, there is absolutely nothing arbitrary about these archetypes. You can trust them and you, you can really learn them, and then we can track truth and we can straighten everything out. Let me see. Um, now, let me go over here. I did that. I had, okay, now this is where another one, okay, let me just do two more. Okay, wait, I got a couple more. I don't know how much time I've been going, but from the mountains. Now, the everlasting hills. This is another one. This totally relates to the tree of life in its deep uh, sowed level understanding. The everlasting hills when it talks about in the Tetragrammaton, yod hey vav hey, two hays, two feminine markers, if people understand all this, this is the left side is the feminine side. There's two hays, and it, it totally tells us here that these are related to Bina and Malkut. These are, when you understand this, Bina, who is our heavenly mother, who is wisdom who is understanding and Malkut down here this whole progression okay is a progression of the transcendence of Elohim into imminence into physicality okay but how they code this the mountains is the all of these separate they're male all of this separate around which is called Zeron Pan these are all male these are the two feminine markers all right, and again, there's a reason it's not arbitrary, and it it follows. So the mountains is Zeron Pin, the, the feminine markers, Bina and Malkut. Those are the everlasting hills, the two hills. But there's plural mountains, all right? So, um, and each of them is a world. You know how they say in um, Baruch, 
in this world and in the world to come. The world to come is, is coded related to Bina, our Heavenly Mother. The, this world is, is the world of Malkut. We live in this world, this physical world. Okay, there is a world coming, which is talking about Bina, which is talking about a level of wisdom and understanding that is going to descend on this earth, which is going to make a millennium, which is going to put down all rule and authority of the other side. Okay, so this is all coded. This is the understanding. When this level of wisdom and understanding, this high level that is outside of, um, it's higher than, than zero and pin. Because see, this is how, can I say this? this? That's why it says get wisdom and get understanding. That's the highest level you can get. That's what you need. That's what we should be shooting for, all right? So it's not arbitrary. That from the mountains, and then the, from the mountains are known collectively. See, this is what's coded when you understand the Zohar. The three sephirah of Hased, Hased, Gevira, and Tifrit. Okay? These are the three high mountains. So we can't make it up. You know, Ephraim teachers, Ephraim, my creature, come back. Come back to Judah. They have the keys. Yeshua, who was a Jewish rabbi, <laughs> taught the keys. But we're in such a war, they get lost and they get found. Now, one last, let me just do this real quick. Okay, so, and this is, again, when I get back into teaching the tree of life on its different levels, and it's always talking about, let's say here, there's a verse in Revelation 7. Whoever wrote Revelation was not a Christian like a King James Christian, they were 100% steeped in the sowed level understanding of the already established encrypted or understanding the oral tradition of this. Okay, now that's just a fact. So it says in Revelation 7, 3, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees. See, and it just try to understand on a total Peshat level. Okay, and it's not at all talking on a Peshat level. Let me tell you something. Revelation is not talking on a Peshat level at all. It is the most spirit coded spiritual warfare text, I think, of all of them. But, and it, much of the information comes right out of the Zohar. So anyways, hurt the earth. The earth is always a word that's equated with our bodies. Remember, we're made of a body, soul, and spirit. That's the archetype. The sea is, refers to our Ruach, our our emotional life, our psyche, it, 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 it says the, um, you know, Reuben was called because of his action, unstable as water. They're following through on an archetype here. He, his psyche was really off in the sense that he allowed himself to follow an evil inclination to sleep with Vilna, to sleep with the, you know, the concubine. Of his father, okay? I mean, that's some very bad meadows, <laughs> all right? And then the trees, see, this is another word, I'll, and I have a huge folder with hundreds, probably hundreds of cut clippings, so to speak, of how trees are used. And trees are people, but it also represents in the highest of their mind, okay? Um, so you have here an archetype, do not hurt the body, the soul, or the mind, the spirit, of these people, okay, and who? Of the righteous, all right? So this is so important to understand this coding because even as we go into great tribulation, 
there is still a sweet spot, even in the midst of for the righteous. That's the promise. We will have a sweet spot, a safe haven. We, the chaos, the plagues can go be going on all around us, but they will not come near our door. That's the promise. But you have to be living your body, your soul, and your spirit. This is the point. The earth, the sea, which is your psyche, which is, and it, it's a great analogy when you understand it, an archetype's nature. The, the sea can be very calm. Remember, you can be at peace. Everything's lovely. Today's a beautiful day. My ruach, my emotion, you know, but it can get into a tempest. It can turn into a raging sea, you know, due to circumstances, whatever. That's what they're doing. The emotional life of man is a total roller coaster ride. And then trees. And this gets into the whole dream with Nebuchadnezzar and what he was seeing, where the head was. But, you know, these things are all coded exactly archetypally with each other <clears throat> and in their origination. So <clears throat> another one is Egypt and Babylon, constantly used, not at all on the Peshat level. Egypt and Babylon don't even exist today in the sense that they did. These words have been taken and now elevated into talking about spiritual conditions. So Egypt is totally coded to our flesh, our body. Remember, they were taken out of Egypt. It is coded to bread. It's talking about physicality, matter, the Peshat level, um, all of these things. They were taken out of Egypt, but then they had to spend the 40 years in the, trying to get, um, and that was, all right, I'm not going to go to the, the different process of how they were trying to be transformed by the renewing of their mind to get to the point where they could go in and then conquer these quote-unquote giants in the land. These, um, So, you know, before you do any serious spiritual warfare, you should, <laughs> this is the whole point, uh, you should equip yourself, you know, eat some meat, gird yourself, your loins with the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation, is it? I forget off the top of my head all these things, you know, and take up the sword of the spirit. These are all talking about different levels of warfare that we need if we're going to go take on our enemies, so to speak, all right? But this is all tied up in the word of Egypt. The word Babylon is totally different. And this is where I have to say this is so interesting. These archetypes are 100% accurate, but what they do is they always see how they fit. One, I have this, you can't beat this little analogy. The original archetype will fit totally into its next box, its next cloak, its next level of understanding, either up or down. That one will fit perfectly into the next level of understanding. And on and on. All right? They and they and this is what we know to be true from quantum physics now. How you take something huge you know, let's just say that's in the physical and you look at it and it's packed more and more condensely in, in the life force until they finally, the systems, they, they keep archetypally, one system fits into another system, fits into another system until you all get down to really, which is, the, you know, the stone of Israel, which is the original core letters and some of the numbers that are, what am I trying to say? The, the, the DNA of God that created all of this, all life, on every level. So this Babylon is equated with the blood. It's the soul life. It's, it's talking about our inner man, our psyche. You can't, all right? The, the, the bread you can see, eat. It's very physical. Um, 
<clears throat> our soul life is a little, it's more ethereal, right? You can't put it under a microscope. So what, how do we glean truth, empirical truth? You do it by embedding it in its physical archetype and every analogy fits that. So you never lose, all right? You never kind of untether it and an idea or just goes off and, and gets grabbed and attached by the other side. That's an idol too. There's another whole, but I can't go into that. Anyways, so the wine, um, blood, soul, wine, heaven, those are all words that are coded to talk about our whole inner man, our soul, and our spirit. All right. But what's interesting is um, <clears throat> the word, okay, so when it talks about the life of the flesh is in the blood, all right, that is so, and okay, so life, chai, which is the smallest, most particle of life is light, all right, I mean, the whole concept of the lost sparks, okay? Yahweh is, you know, he said, let there be light. Light is the most primordial, fundamental essence in, in, that's in everything, all right? But then it's next level. So life is in the blood, which I said it's, it's in our soul spirit area, all right? So at first, it's there. Then it comes down into our bone. Then they're told, bone of my bones. In other words, where does blood get housed? It's housed in our bone, all right, in the bone marrow. So in other words, which is in, and it's on our bone marrow that according to, this is where our nephish soul is. So in other words, the light, which is our true spiritual essence, the real, is clothed in the blood, which they know, you know, and this is the whole point. I think that Adam was, um, he, he's a, we're people of light. See, and eventually we will shine again. Our light will, our physical body, our skin will no longer um, hide the light, literally, that is in us, all right? And literally in physics, I, well, anyways. Okay, and then that, that blood is housed in the bone marrow, in the physicality. So when, Every analogy, it fits. I mean, I, even even atotonomically, I think that would be right, that, you know, it fits. So it's always, and this is how with quantum physics, how they, they just compact. These quantums get smaller and smaller, and you can fit. And this, they know this from the information, how you can just fit into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller containers. Tons of information. So nothing archetypal layer is different from uh, what we are finding to be true. That's true science. If true science, if something is following an archetype in nature and you can see it coded that way in the, in the scriptures, you have absolutely empirical truth. So um, on that note, let me just last one. Okay. I'm having so much fun reviewing all this. All right. But I wanted to just say, remember how I said like, like the, this uh, apocalypse of Abraham? This is Zoharic writings, Second Enoch. So much of this pseudographia and this apocalypse that people are reading today is actually just Zoharic understanding. So why are you fighting against the Zohar? Because you're going to end up being one of these prophets that's going to have to say in the end time, well, hey, <laughs> I didn't really know. Uh, I, was, I was untethered from my source. Anyways, but this is from the Apocalypse of John. So many of the New Testament Apocalypse that are just totally, again, totally written in keys, and people read and go like, what? 
you know, we might as well throw that out because we have no clue what they're talking about. Well, you could figure it out because these are Jews who wrote this. <clears throat> in, in, all right, so this is where it says here in this particular apocalypse, which is where they're talking about these archetypes that are already established. And it talks about, John, it is needful that one should hear these things from me, for I have need of one that will hear. In other words, so it's, and one of the things I have to tell you, the, the, the tradition, and it would be much better for us, that's why you would go back to Yeshiva, is you study teacher to disciple. It's very important to, and this is why um, Judah has been, in, to a large extent, hugely more successful than Ephraim ever was, of retaining truth, quote unquote, in the house is because they had such strict rules of transmission and they had such a strict level of learning precept by precept. You would learn Torah first, you know, then you, you, you work your way up the ladder. But if you were John and you're trying to teach new converts who have been lost from this tradition for up to, could be hundreds of years. Today it's been 2,300 years, 2,300 years since the Northern Kingdom was expelled. And since to a large extent, they did lose their lamps, their sages, that this whole, they were untethered from this whole level of understanding. But John is trying to tell people some of these codes. All right. And he says, this cross of light is sometimes called let me, let me get a word, by me for your, sometimes it's called, sometimes called mind, all right, remember I told you mind, or body, soul, and spirit, spirit, level, to, the, to the mind, our highest rational, empirical truth of Elohim that can be revealed to our mind, all right, that's where the law is, the law does not change, all right, um, so you have the mind, it's sometimes called Yeshua, he was Yeshua, he was the word was made flesh. Uh, sometimes Christ, Christ, which is Christos. People have not understood these words. It's a level of anointing. It specifically refers to that high level of chokmah and being a wisdom and understanding where this higher level understanding is kept. It's sometimes door <clears throat> is not Yeshua, as he called it. He's the door. And this is the problem. Most Christians now, and I understand this, <clears throat> it was told me early on in my journey that, oh, most Christians just, they just hang out at the door. They get in the door and then they just stay there. <laughs> it's like going into the temple and just going in and not, well, I should, all right, I'm not even going to go there, but um, <clears throat> then there's all these rooms. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. Mansions are palaces. These are, these are talking about different sephirithic levels of wisdom and understanding. All right. There's many rooms. <clears throat> have at it. He's prepared a great feast, a banqueting feast. All right. Sometimes doors, sometimes the way. You know, they were followers of that way, the Nazareans. They were following a certain mental understanding that, yes, Yeshua was the Messiah ben Joseph, all right, who had come, Rachel weeping for her children, who had come for the children of Joseph. Um, sometimes light. Yes, he is. He's Che. Hey, he is life. Lachaim. All right. Sometimes truth, and uh, that truth, empir and I'm talking empirical truth. Now, the thing that's going to be so exciting is we can start teaching this stuff to the empirically. I mean, all the naysayers, everybody, it, it's it's going to do quite a thorough winnowing work. 
Okay, sometimes son, sometimes father, sometimes resurrection, sometimes spirit, sometimes life, sometimes truth, sometimes faith, sometimes grace. See, this is something we have. These are all coded Old Testament, already established, coded ways of referring to different levels of understanding or like about the Mashiach or, um, you know, sometimes father. And I was last week, I think it was the word ab. The number, the first word in, like if you do Strong's Concordance, that is number one is ab, is father. That's not an accident. And it's made up of the two letters, aleph and bet, the alphabet. The Father, that's, it, it, these words, it contains everything. Alphabet, that's everything. All right, so, so the Father, all of his genitive, um, you know, made in, they were made in the image and likeness. All the genitive, that's the right word. He totally replicated himself, and he continues to replicate himself. But anyway, so that, um, let's see if that was the last one. All right, so just that, <clears throat> some of these words now, uh, when we get up to this level, of, because if we're going to understand the prophecies, if we're going to really be able for the elect to not be deceived in the last days, I'll tell you what you have. You better not be following teachers who do not even have this level of understanding that it's there. All right, number one. And... I mean, there are a lot of good, even my teachers, there's a lot of good, but, but I'm going back to the sages of Israel. You cannot, you can trust, in my opinion, the sages of Israel uh, and the writings there, having kept these keys, and that this is going to be part of the whole, it's going to bring out the restoration of all things. That, hey, I'm ready. I think most people looking at the world's landscape today, let's just do this. Let's wrap it up. And let's bring, uh, let's believe the Messiah and David, our king, comes soon to establish the kingdom. And we can all live peaceably uh, under, it, it, it's, I just think this is the next thing. When we understand how incredibly the millennium is going to be full of, of all the fruit, the bounty that the earth at every level, mentally, physically, and spiritually could have produced, that's latent in it. So it's going to be a very exciting time. So on that note, uh, shalom, shalom, and I will see you again in the next episode of The Elect Life. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Maybe you have some questions or would like to share your thoughts. Liz would love to chat with you about it, so head on over to the website, theelectlife.org. Or if you prefer, you can leave your comments on the Liz McGee YouTube channel. And if you're over on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell. Tune in next week as Liz brings out more on the mysteries that matter and more food for the soul. Thanks for tuning in.